Hi y'all, uh, Nathan here again. This is going to be uh, a new sort of format that I'm experimenting with, uh, trying to branch out into now the podcast space. Um, so this podcast series is going to be um, all about my experience in my PhD program. Um, also, I'm hoping that this can potentially serve as helpful advice to those wanting to start on a PhD program or are currently in one and sort of the you know uh, pitfalls that I've had um, and some of the successes that might um, help uh, anyone in this path as well. Uh, additionally, in this sort of format, I might also interview other PhD uh, students, uh, either in my university that I just know or um, potentially others as well. Um, so um, we'll see how the um, future unfolds with this series. This uh, first episode is going to be basically just going over why I wanted to uh, uh, pursue a PhD in the first place um, and how I got into my current uh, PhD program. So here's a little bit of background about me. I'm currently a third year PhD student at the College of William and Mary. My research focus is on essentially applying uh, deep learning techniques to uh, solve different software engineering problems uh, and essentially helping uh, software developers. So this could be things like uh, doing auto-completion of code. I'm sure you've seen a lot of examples uh, of this with uh, models like GPT-3 being able to you know, help write uh, code. This could be also helping developers with uh, debugging applications. Um, things like that. So that's where my research focus is in primarily. Um, my uh, undergrad was um, completed in uh, software engineering at the um, University of West Florida. Um, and that's really where my sort of motivation to get my PhD started. So, um, well, initially I sort of just liked the idea, the respect and stuff that came with uh, having a PhD in the doctor title. Uh, now, I, I don't think that much. I don't really care uh, about it at all. So um, this is not important to me, but uh, it was something in the back of my mind that sort of uh, inspired me to also pursue a PhD. Um, but uh, the, the main thing that sort of continued to drive me is that I wanted to teach undergrads um, and perform uh, research at like the four-year university level um, and in order to do that you normally need to have a PhD and so um, I, I was sort of brought into undergrad um, research actually uh, quite early um, in my undergraduate um, I was mentored by uh, uh, two amazing professors at the uh, University of West Florida, uh, Dr. Norman Wild, who is now retired. He's um, a professor emeritus, and um, Dr. Brian Eddy, who is currently still teaching at the University of West Florida. And they essentially brought me in to do undergrad research with them, um, focusing specifically on uh, education for software engineering students. So doing things like uh, how best to teach students about continuous integration and continuous delivery uh, easily uh, in a university environment. 
And so that's where I sort of got the taste for um, research. And um, uh, I was uh, uh, very much inspired specifically by Dr. Brian um, Eddy for um, wanting to teach and, uh, you know, sort of give back to uh, the, um, to this, uh, to the university um, by, by teaching um, students and stuff like that. And so he was a very big part of why I um, got my PhD. And he helped me a lot navigate um, the, this journey. Um, so let me just talk about how this sort of journey would start. Um, specifically, you, of course, want to know what sort of research it is you want to do. So for me, uh, at the beginning, it was wanting to do education. I've changed a lot since uh, the beginning. Um, oh yeah, I, I still like doing educational stuff, uh, especially like this YouTube uh, channel and uh, stuff that I have or these podcasts. But um, a lot of my stuff nowadays is more uh, like applied um, rather than educational resources. Um, so you want to figure out what sort of research direction you want, whether or not you want it to be like super narrow in a field, whether or not you want to do like a broad set of different things. So like for me, um, I ended up doing a lot of broad um, research areas with just a, a common focus about applying deep learning to help software engineers. Now, of course, this thing is going to change, especially depending on where you go, the uh, professor that you are being advised by uh, in your PhD program, that's, they're all going to dictate how your, uh, how you, what sort of research opportunities that you have. Um, so uh, this is just the research that you want to figure out. This is just an initial sort of thing that you should have in your mind when you're looking at different universities. Um, once you have a sort of rough idea of what sort of research you want to do, uh, you should look at the professors because really the universities, like the names like, you know, Harvard, uh, Stanford and stuff like that, it really doesn't matter, to be honest. Um, I say that coming from a university that not the, uh, you know, biggest in the world, but ha does a lot of great research um, and stuff like that. It really doesn't matter that much um, uh, what sort of university that you go to. It's really what's best fit for you. And so you should really look at the professors and whether or not any of the professors are doing research in the area that interests you. Once you've found a couple professors, I would recommend finding about five to ten uh, professors that you uh, think you might be interested in um, uh, working with. And those, the universities that you, they belong to should be ones that you're gonna apply to. The reason for so many is because, of course, you might not get your first pick. I certainly didn't. Uh, the college that I'm currently going to was like my seventh pick. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. College of William Mary is really nice, but I was one of those people that at the beginning really wanted to go to MIT, really wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon and stuff and have that prestige. But um, I'm very much happy with the place that I'm at now. One thing that you should know is that when you're picking these places, though, usually when you're sending in applications, it has an application fee. So it's, um, 
I mean, when I was applying, and he was really tight, so uh, I understand the struggle of trying to send in applications. I actually had to get waivers and stuff for a lot of the applications, but for a few of them, I had to pay out of pocket, and it's not cheap. It's like, you know, $100 per application. So keep that in mind when you're selecting the places. Um, places that you should also look for is... Um, you should have sort of, you know, your ones that you really want to go for, uh, so your top ones, and then ones that you'd be sort of okay going for, and then, you know, your backup backup plans. Um, just because, you know, just the way the system works, you know, it's going to be hard to always get your first pick uh, or even your second pick. So um, don't, uh, don't let rejection and stuff get you down. It really is... Um, you know, it has nothing to do with how you're doing. A lot of this stuff comes down to uh, the next section, which is the GRE examination, which I hate very much. Um, so uh, the GRE is a graduate record examination. So it's basically like the SATs, but for grad schools. And um, it has, it, it measures nothing to do with your ability to do research at all. The questions are all about like you know trigonometry like high school level stuff um uh, maybe a little bit of calculus i can't even remember actually um but very uh unless you're, you're for some reason going to be doing research in those areas your performance on the GRE really doesn't matter um i just hate that they that some universities or colleges still require it it's a, it's a little silly at this point um now some places don't so uh, a place like MIT actually doesn't require it. So um, I was actually really looking forward to submitting to MIT because uh, I wouldn't uh, have the, the terrible performance that I did on the GRE uh, tainting my application. Um, and so uh, um, uh, make sure whichever place that you're uh, looking to apply for, whether or not they even require a GRE. Um, and if you want to just apply to places that don't, that's uh, you know perfectly good option uh, because GRE is actually really expensive. It's like two hundred and fifty dollars to go, and you have to pay for it every time you take it. Um, though you can take it as many times as you want, I had to take it five times, um, and I still did terrible even on the last time because I, I didn't really study for it. Um, I was more interested in doing like personal projects and stuff like websites and uh, competitive programming. Um, I, I would definitely recommend you taking time out of uh, your like last semester or last two semesters to study for the GRE because I believe the scores last for a few years. Um, to uh, like put in the work to study for it because for some reason these universities still put a lot of stake in this examination. Um, um, and yeah, don't do what I did. <laughs> you, you, you should put some effort into it, especially so that you don't have to you know, shell out lots of money um, to keep retaking it. Once you've sort of, you know, did your GRE, once you've found your places that you're going to send um, your application off to and you've sent it, uh, depending on the university or college, um, you'll get uh, an interview with the uh, university or college where they'll essentially pay to fly you out 
course, during these COVID times. This is going to be just a virtual talk or something like that. Um, but for when I was um, uh, accepted into the William Mary program, uh, they flew me out there to meet with the professors to sort of butter me up whether or not I was going to uh, actually accept their offer. Um, so um, when I was starting off, I, I didn't have a lot of options. I had like three schools that I potentially could uh, go to. Uh, William Mary was like the top, the best one by far. Um, and so when you're doing this tour, uh, you also want to have a good impression. Even though they have accepted you, it doesn't mean that the professor that you want to work with is going to want to work with you. Uh, that this exception, this acceptance letter has uh, not much to do with um, uh, whether or not you're going to be, um, you know, advised by the advisor that you want to be advised by. So uh, when you're doing this tour, usually you interview a bunch of different professors there. So you'll have a list um, of professors you want to meet. And you'll essentially interview them. So make sure to bring good questions along um, to try and get a feel for what the environment is at that university. Uh, my interview was with my current advisor, um, Dr. Dennis Poshavonik, was very uh, nerve-wracking. It was, uh, I wasn't much asking any of the questions. It was sort of role reversed. Um, when I walked into his office, all of his uh, PhD students were there, and it was essentially just uh, them interviewing me, asking me questions and stuff like that, um, which was a lot different than all the other professors that I had interviewed with uh, that day. So it was definitely nerve-wracking, but it helped, um, I guess, uh, cement that I was uh, a good candidate for his research lab. So it worked out in the end, I guess. One thing when you're having these offers uh, to you, you want to make sure at least for PhD program, this is going to be different if you're just getting a master's or something like that, but for a PhD program, uh, and I've given this advice from multiple different professors and stuff, if they're not willing to pay for your tuition and actually pay you money to be like a teaching assistant or something at the university, that place is not for you. There's plenty of other places that will um, completely pay for your tuition, will uh, give you a monthly stipend so that you can pay for living expenses, you know, rent, food, and all that stuff. Um, there's plenty of places like that. Uh, so if one of the universities that you got accepted to isn't willing to do that, that's not the right environment for you. Um, also because like these universities, normally they get an actual grants to actually have PhD students. Uh, so they get paid uh, through grants um, from the government or maybe even state, I'm not 100% sure, to uh, have uh, graduates. So if they're not willing to pay for your tuition, which is usually expensive because you're going to be out of state, um, and pay you a stipend, then uh, I, I highly recommend you look somewhere else, even if it is one of your top picks. All right, so, um, yeah, so essentially I, uh, I picked co uh, the College of William & Mary. 
Uh, they offered me a uh, full uh, tuition ride uh, and also a stipend. It was one of the best options and one of the best decisions I made uh, to pursue a PhD um, at this university that I'm at currently. Um, I hope some of the stuff that I talked with you today is helpful. Uh, if you have any questions about uh, getting a PhD, um, leave a comment on the YouTube video of this podcast, um, and I'd be happy to answer it. Also, if you have any suggestions for uh, future episodes of this podcast, the things you'd like me to talk about with my experience as a PhD student, um, please leave them down. I'd, I'd love to, whatever I can do to, you know, try and help any advice that I can give. Um, through my experience, um, uh, I'd be more than happy to do one of these podcasts on. Um, the next episode um, is going to be uh, basically on PhD life, what PhD life is like, uh, both inside and outside of class. So stay tuned for the uh, next episode. Uh, you know, make sure to uh, follow on whatever podcast catcher you have or uh, subscribe on my YouTube channel so that you don't miss any content. Um, and um, I uh, hope you enjoyed and got something out of it. I'll see you in the next one. Bye.